This Christmas season looks so different from any other Christmas before. We've had to completely rediscover how to do what we have always done. Sure, there is still shopping, but we do it with the click of a button and not visiting a store. Sure, there are Christmas carols, but not everything is full of joy and peace like the song sang. Sure, there are family gatherings, but a dinner over Zoom is not quite the same as gathering around a table. Rediscovering what Christmas was always meant to be in a season like this can be hard work, but it must be done. So this year, let's allow ourselves to rediscover Christmas. Rediscover the hope God gave us that will help us carry on. Rediscover the peace He gave us that passes all understanding. Rediscover a deep joy that lifts our heavy hearts. And rediscover the love that is unlike any other. So as we spend time with our families, we find hope for a brighter tomorrow. As we search for that perfect gift, may we remember that it has already been given to us in the peace of Christ. As we gather with other believers at church, whether in person or online, embrace the joy that comes from being a part of something bigger than yourself. And as we are rediscovering what Christmas is all about, may we be marked by the way we love one another. This Christmas may be unlike any other, but it will be one we will never forget. generation has its where were you when question. It was a question about where you were during some cultural seismic event. Where were you when Pearl Harbor was invaded? Where were you when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon? Where were you when you heard that John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. had been shot and killed. Where were you when you heard about Columbine? Where were you on 9-11? Some of those examples predate many of us, but we all have a new one that we can share. Where were you when you realized that this coronavirus was for real? Almost like these are big. They change things. There's no going back. I suppose that one of the, the, the things that have been, that I've heard asked more than anything else is, when do you think we'll get back to normal? The problem for me is I'm not sure we were normal when we started this. We're just more abnormal now than we used to be. But when will things come back? When will, when will, uh, events change? When will we be able to go to grandma's for Christmas? Unfortunately, many of these events that shift our culture 
and make our lives never the same. Many of these events are negative events. They're catastrophes, they're tragedies. They strike with no warning and they introduce a new sense of uncertainty into our lives. Is any of this sounding familiar to you? Welcome to 2020, anybody? Wow, what a year. Has there ever been a year that's been filled with more uncertainty than this year? At least in our lifetimes, this, I think this is true. This has to rank in the all-time top ten unexpected events that have happened in the history of the world. And partly because it's an ongoing thing. 9-11, it happened. And then we had to clean up the pieces. Columbine happened, and then we had to put lives back together. But this coronavirus just seems to keep on going. And I don't know about you, but I'm growing weary. I'm growing tired. I, I'm tired of, uh, of wearing these. Amen. I'm tired of, I, I shouldn't say this because I'll get in trouble with my wife, I'm tired of having to wash my hands every time I turn around. <laughs> I'm just tired of all of this. But just, it's also that, that I'm tired of not being able to see people, to give hugs, to receive hugs, to go to dinner, to do all of those things. I, I'm just tired. We've been living it for almost a full year now. We've had a global pandemic, economic recession, mass unemployment, political division, cultural upheaval, racial reckoning, record wildfires, fire tornadoes, extra powerful hurricanes and floods. Did I miss anything? That just seems to be what the news is like. In fact, this year, there is a new word that has been added to the English lexicon, officially added. And it's a word that ought to be probably the word of the year, and it's called doom scrolling. You know what it is? Doom scrolling is a word that speaks of as you, on your smart device, your phone, your iPad, your, your computer, you scroll down through the news headlines and you read the news headlines and then you go to the next news headline and you go to the next news headline. It is bad news if you decide to do doom scrolling just before you go to sleep. Because if you do, your mind is going to be filled with all of these negative things. Are you tired of it? Don't you want, don't you long for something better? Hopefully we've caught ourselves as we do these things and we've learned to limit the doom scrolling so that it doesn't overwhelm us. Now, I want you to know as I start this message that I'm not trying to, to bring a, do, a downer to you. I, I don't want to bring you down. In fact, today my purpose is quite the opposite. It is, to, it is to bring us out of all of this through a simple little word called hope. 
it, it may seem like it's not very much, but I'll tell you this. This is the reality that we've been living with for some time. It's been a tough year. And if there's ever a year that we need Christmas, it's this year. If there's ever a year that we need the hope of Christmas, this is it. If there's ever a year we need Jesus, my friends, it's now. Amen. It's a good thing that we've made it here to Advent. We're nearly to Christmas. So that's what I want to share with you today. And I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you will. And I want to talk to you on this theme of finding hope in our uncertainties. We are living in uncertain times. And I understand you may have it all figured out theologically and good for you. I think I, think I have a handle on where things are going. But you know, there are still things that happen in my timeline of events that I didn't see coming. There are still things that, that I, I have that leave me scratching my head and say, hmm, I thought so and such and such. It's hard sometimes to understand that things happen for purposes and for reasons that we will never be able to understand. We live in an uncertain world, in uncertain times. But that doesn't mean we can't have hope. So let's talk about finding hope and uncertainty. Because after all, Advent is a season of hope. It's all about hope. It's about that expectation of what God is going to do. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And the season is traditionally a time of expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. My, uh, my daughter-in-law and son held the grandkids off as long as they could this weekend. If it were up to them, we'd have set up the Christmas tree sometime in early October. <laughs> They'd have been ahead of Walmart in getting ready for Christmas. But they waited until Thanksgiving night and they put up the uh, Christmas tree. But I want you to know that that doesn't end the expectation and the longing because both of them have presented us a full page front and back list of things that they want for Christmas. No, that they expect for Christmas. And Christmas is about anticipating, waiting, longing for something to take place. And they even though, just we've tried to explain to them, just because you write it on paper doesn't mean you're going to get it. <laughs> something some of us adults should learn. Just because we say, dear God, give me this, doesn't mean you're going to get it. But we long for and we anticipate. And that's what Advent, that's what Christmas is is really all about. Advent also looks back to the celebrations of hope. That's really what we're going to do today. We're going to look back and we're going to celebrate with some people who have been hoping for something all their lives. 
They have been waiting and anticipating and expecting something to happen. And that expectation changed the way that they lived their lives, the way that they approached their lives. Too often Christmases have become frenzied and overwhelmingly busy. We pack our schedules with so many seasonal happenings. The stores start pushing Christmas decor and merchandise and fueling a gift-buying frenzy by early October. Our season of peace is quickly overloaded, is overloaded with a season of stress. But Advent is, the, is an opportunity to set all that aside. Advent's a time to prepare our hearts to help us place our focus on a far greater story than our own. The story of God's redeeming love for our world. It's not a season of pretending to be happy or of covering up the pain or the hardships we've experienced during the past year. It's not put on a happy face as you go through this cultural seismic event that we're going through now, this this pandemic. Rather, it is... Realizing even in the midst of our uncertain times, God is alive, God is at work, and God is bringing about his promises. Listen, what I just said to you is not just something for up here. It's not something to scratch your Sunday school brain. Say, yeah, I've heard that before. This is for your heart. This is... To be your guard and your guide as you go through and maneuver your way through what sometimes we don't even know what comes next. That's what Advent, that's what hope is all about. So wherever you are on your level of 2020 anxiety and uncertainty, whether you're on your own spiritual journey, wherever you are, I invite you this Advent, I'd like even to suggest in this craziness and uncertain and pandemic of the year that we've been given a gift. Now don't shoot the messenger. But maybe there's more of a gift to this than we realize. We've all been given the opportunity to rediscover Christmas. Now, I want you, you're you're there in Luke chapter 2. I'm jumping into the Christmas story in an unusual spot. Jesus has already been born by this time in the story. The shepherds have already heard the announcement about the birth of Jesus, and they've gone in and they've worshipped the child, and they've worshipped Mary and, and, and Joseph. And we read, we've even read that that Mary and, and Joseph have their, their, uh, their time of purification as the law requires. We'll read about that. Um, uh, the days that are required for her according to the law. But also on this day, they're doing what they're required. They're bringing Jesus in to the temple to dedicate him. To have him named and circumcised. And they're going to encounter Two people that are more than this, but two people that the scripture tells about 
who were, how do I say this kindly, they were elderly. They had been around the block. They had spent a lot of time in the temple. They had seen a lot of people in the temple. They had been through a lot of seasons like this, good things and bad things. Sometimes when we're going through times like we are, times of uncertainty, we think that it's never been as bad as this. But don't fool yourself. It was tough to, to be a Jew living in Jerusalem during the days that Jesus was born. They were living under the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. They were, their lives were completely contrary to the Roman way of living. And that, that way of living that, that seemed to emphasize the sensuality of the day and, and the anything goes of the day. And so it was a tough time, <clears throat> especially if you're somebody who's been there for a long time. You know, uh, the older I get... <clears throat> I know you don't like to hear me talk about how old I'm getting. But sometimes that's all you got to talk about when you reach a certain age. But the older I get, the more I realize how my life is different than young people's lives today. The values, the, th the, the things that I'm interested in, the recreation, the things that I want to watch on television. Um, you know, I, you you know me, good old Andy Griffith episodes. That's that's what heaven's going to be like. But sometimes you just you've seen it all, and you've you've seen how how when you were younger and how you were gung ho and you were ready to change the world and turn the world upside down, and if you're in the ministry, how you were going to be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. And things just didn't seem to pan out, you know. And how life sometimes got to be a squeeze. How disappointed you can be and how you can kind of get tired and lose heart. Okay? You're following what I'm getting at there. These two didn't do that. They had been around for a long time. They had seen it all. They had heard it all. But they were holding on to hope. I want you to, to notice with me, if, you're, if you'll open in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. And I want you to come on down to verse 25. I think the cry of Israel at this time probably would have been, How long, O oh God, how long are you going to wait to send the Messiah? For a thousand years, they've been talking about this Messiah coming. They've, people have been born, been taken to, to I guess it would be Sabbath school in the Hebrew faith, but they were taken to their, to their synagogues and they were taught and they were taught in their homes and they were taught in their schools and every part of life that God was, was their God and that he was going to bring a deliverer, a, a Christ, a Messiah. And they died with being taught that same thing. And then the next generation came and the next generation came. How long, God, 
Will you wait? Now, notice with me in verse 25. After, after they have brought Jesus now into the, uh, into the temple. It says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel referred to the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, who would console Israel in their heartache and in their pain. And when the Christ came, he would be a consolation to them. He was waiting for that. There's that word that's so closely related word, to hope they were waiting and the Holy Spirit was on him now this is before Pentecost okay so the Holy Spirit was on him and it, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ that sounds good and meaningful unless you're getting ready to die you know, I mean, he was an old man. He was an elderly man, and he knew that not only was, in a theoretical sense, everybody going to die, death was his roommate. You know, he would, death would always be there, but God hadn't brought it. Is God going to come through? For a thousand generations, or for a thousand years, people had waited, and God had not brought the Messiah. Holy Spirit says you're not going to die until you see uh, the Lord's Christ. But is, is that wishful thinking? Is that just me trying to find something to cling to? Or do I believe that? Is that real to me? Do you see what, do you see the inner link between hope and faith? I mean, yeah, I believe God can, but I just don't know if he will. That sometimes becomes the mantra of those who have waited and waited and waited. <clears throat> this man knows that until, until, he, uh, until the, the Christ comes, he won't die. The Holy Spirit told him that. And here's the interesting thing to me about him, the unusual thing about him. He believed it. So you know what he was doing? Everybody he saw, every baby he saw, he would look to say, is this the one? Could today be the day? Not only when the Christ comes, but when I go home. Reading on, verse 27 says, he came in the spirit into the temple when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. Now here's Simeon. He's there in the temple, and he sees the baby. Could this be the one? And he takes him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, I, my eyes have now seen what not only you had said through your Holy Spirit, but what I have longed for and anticipated and expected 
his faith had become sight. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, both Mary and Joseph had also been told by an angel who this baby was. Remember, we could back up and, and study that out if you, if you don't believe me. But remember, Mary is, uh, is told that she is going to be the bearer of Christ, uh, of the Christ, of the Messiah, of God's Savior. Joseph didn't want to marry her when he found out she was pregnant. But the angel said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife because the one that's coming is the Messiah, the Christ. And you'll name him Jesus because God himself is going to save us. And so they, even though they knew that, maybe it hadn't sunk all the way in yet. But here's somebody that probably, certainly apparently, they don't know. They've never seen him before. They didn't go out and have a, a sandwich the, the day before and talk about this. And he says, I just got to see this baby you're talking about. He lays eyes on him and the same Holy, this way I see it, the same Holy Spirit who told him you're not going to die until you see the salvation says, look up, there it is. And Simeon doesn't come over and ask permission, may I hold your baby? He takes the baby and he blesses God. And they marveled. They thought that now the secret's out. Now other people know this. Those shepherds, they tell everything they, they know. Verse, 20, uh, verse 34. Simeon blessed them. Said to Mary his mother. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many people in Israel. That means that things are going to become topsy-turvy because of this kid. You know, there have been some times when I've seen some kids with their moms and dads, and I say, these, these kids are going to be able to turn the world upside down. And I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. <laughs> but in this way, he's saying this child is destined to be a, to be a divider people. He's going to turn, raise some up and some down depending on how they respond to him. This man, this young baby is going to uh, is, is going to be responsible and is appointed for the rising of many in Israel and the falling. And for a sign that is opposed that he's going to face opposition. He says, and and by the way, Mary, a sword will pierce you through your own soul also. I've never had to face this, but I can imagine. I can't even imagine what it would be like to watch your child. I don't care how old they are. Be crucified. It breaks my heart now when my kids go through a hard time uh, because of somebody doing something in their church, saying something, or, or maybe... Uh, in the marketplace or, you know, just, just wherever it is. It, it pierces through my soul also. But he says, the sword's going to pierce you so that thoughts 
from many hearts may be revealed. Now, no sooner had that happened, but verse 36 tells us that there was there also a woman, a prophetess, whose name was Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, or some versions say Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin or when she got married. And then as a widow until she was 84, or more literally, lived for 84 years as a widow. So she was either 84, and please, if you're 85, don't be offended if, if, that, if I'm making that sound old. <laughs> or she had been married for seven years and been a widow for 84 years, which is going to make her over 100. That's really old. Okay, so if you're 85, you know, it could be worse, I guess is what I'm saying. But, he, but, but she's an elderly woman, advanced in her years. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She began to bless God amongst all of those who were looking forward to the same thing that she was looking forward to. Anna and Simeon had some things in common. At least, at least two things. One, they were both elderly. They had been waiting for a long time for the, the promise of God to take place. But they had both waited with hope. And they also had this in common. They saw the salvation, the promise fulfilled before the, with their own eyes. They were sparks of hope in Israel. More than that, they were torches of hope. Because they believed that God was going to do this, they waited for it. And because they waited for it, and the longer they waited for it, the more real it became to them. And when they saw it, neither one of them were surprised. Did you notice that? When the, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they were afraid. When the angel appeared to, uh, to Mary, she was frightened. I suppose that I'd be the same way, same way if all of a sudden the angel sneaks up on you and says, I'm here to tell you this message from God. That isn't the way it happens here. Maybe because they were elderly, God may have said, hey, you don't throw a surprise party for an 84-year-old woman. You may send her into cardiac arrest. So maybe, but when, they're, when they see Jesus, by the way, there was no announcement being made. I mean, there wasn't, they, Mary and Joseph weren't carrying a sign saying, here he is, come see him. They, they see Jesus and they know who he is. They know 
what he is, and they aren't surprised, and they both bless God for what for what's taken place. So I want to uh, I want to talk about some of the things that Simeon and Anna reveal in our lives with regards to the promises that God has given to to you and to me, and the expectations of hope. Finding hope in uncertain times. Let me give you, I think I've got three, three points this morning that I want to make, that I want to share with you. The first one is this. Hope sees beyond the uncertainties. We live in uncertain times, right? And there are times when, like these, like some of the others that I mentioned earlier, where we say, what are we going to do? They, sometimes they can have us wringing our, our hands and our hair and, and, and calling counselors up to talk, calling friends up. I just don't know what to do. I'm, I'm going nuts. I'm going crazy with all of this. There's, there's so much uncertainty. But here's what hope does. Hope sees past the uncertainties. There are things that you and I are concerned about that don't concern God in the least. And by that, what I mean is not that he doesn't care, but he's not worried about it. There are things that stress me out that don't stress God out. And some of those things are stressful things. Some of those things... Everybody's going to get upset about it. Maybe it's bad news from the doctor. And when that happens to you, when you get word that you have an ailment or you have a condition that has to be taken care of or that you have a condition that there's no hope for you being taken care of, we enter into a stress lockdown, don't we? And we get... We become consumed with it. It's all we can think about. When we lay our heads down, we can't think of anything outside of this bad news. But hope sees beyond the uncertainty to the solution. And that's one of the things that Anna and Simeon teach us. No matter how bad your year has been, no matter what kind of problems and struggles that you're facing right now, no matter what kind of season of darkness and pain you are in, let me encourage, encourage you, don't abandon hope. Don't give up on hope. We come to church on Sundays, maybe we're in a Sunday school class or a small group, and we, we hear, we read the Bible in our own homes, and we get a promise from God don't turn loose of it. Because since God is who he is, everything that he says is truth. And everything that he says will take place. <clears throat> Maybe not on your timetable. Maybe not in your 2020. But in God's time, things will happen. So hold on. God sees, he knows, he's not stressed about, he's working, he's marching history to his drumbeat, 
and his promises will take place. Hold on to that hope uh, beyond your um, beyond your uncertainties. In in Paul put it this way: Romans chapter eight is a well-known chapter in the Bible, and uh, but there's a section that often gets overlooked, and I want to I don't want to overlook it today. In verse twenty-four. Paul is going to start off, by the way, in, in ver, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, Paul starts off this chapter by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Some of us need to know that that's a promise from God. Because there are times I feel like I let God down. Can I get a witness? Yes. And I feel about this big, and I, I sometimes think that's why I've got to come to church so that I can kind of get God to like me again. But the Bible tells us that there is, those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no more condemnation. It's done. It's over with. It's a once for all thing. You can't lose it. You can't sell it. You can't get rid of it. The the gift of grace is that God no longer condemns. Those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a different sermon. But that's where it starts off. And, and even though there are times when you may not feel that, it's still truth. And that's why on down he's talking about there are things that, with regards to hope that you may not feel all the time, but they are still true. Verse, uh, verse 24 says, In this hope, we were saved. It's an unusual, that's a short sentence for Paul. I mean, some of Paul's sentences can go on for pages. But he says it all with that verse, with that, with that sentence. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen isn't hope. For who hopes for what he sees? If we hope for what we do not see, if we hope for what we do not see, if we expect, if we anticipate, if we live our lives, fashion our lives and live by faith in, in the knowledge that what God has said, he will do. If we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. There are times I, I there are times I know that theologically, but I don't always know it in my heart. I don't always feel it. And you know, I, I think one of the one of the greatest gifts that God has given to me and to you, but to me, is the gift of his Holy Spirit. And there are some times when I will believe the lies that Satan and, uh, and the world throw at me and the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. God loves you. You are no longer condemned. And you can have that hope. And at times when you don't feel it, the Holy Spirit will place it in your heart. will keep giving it to you. If you'll just understand, you've got to cling to that hope. Hope looks beyond, goes beyond the uncertainty. 
Number two, God is with us here, now, and always. God is with us here, now, and always. You know what that means? With God, there is no uncertainty, and he's here with me. So I can either take a look at this stuff that's going on around me, plenty of uncertainty, plenty of stress, or I can, I can cling to God who's with me at all times, who's not ruffled by all this, who's not afraid through all this, who's not stressed over it all. God wasn't taken by surprise when a new coronavirus mutated and spread and went global. God wasn't surprised when the economy froze and sunk. He was not surprised when you or your loved one received that dreaded diagnosis or the call in the middle of the night or heard those words that broke your heart and shattered your world or left you confused and uncertain. God sees you, and he's here. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's here, and he, he promises he will be here. He will never leave us, never forsake us, and, and the hope is that he will deliver me. Now, how he does that, you know, that, that's where... We, you and I don't know, and that's what he says. You're just going to have to trust me with this. But he will deliver us. That's what hope does for us. Hope that he gives is a hope that he infuses within us. It's a hope that is filled and fanned within us by God's Holy Spirit, even during times of our weakness. So our God, Emmanuel, who's with us, has promised his people through history and today some messages of hope. And I, I just, I want to show, show you some of the ones that, that he, uh, uh, he infuses into our hearts. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Or over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, he writes, Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. These are the promises that God gives to us. And he's here with us now and always. Thirdly, hope inspires us to carry on. Hope inspires us to keep on going and to not give up. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says this. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which he's given to us. Because of hope, hard times can teach us lessons, but they can also bring about endurance. And endurance can grow our faith, and faith will grow our hope. And it's, a, it's such a powerful way that God works, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to do all of this. Hope, in other words, here's the point, hope empowers us. Um, do you remember recently hearing about a man named Captain Tom? In all the doom and gloom of the pandemic, Captain Tom rose as a hero and an unlikely one at that. Tom Moore, whose name now is Captain Sir Tom Moore, since he was knighted by the Queen of England, is the 100-year-old man who single-handedly raised $40 million for the British healthcare system by walking 100 laps around his garden. That's right, 100 laps, one for each year of his life. What started as a challenge from his son-in-law to donate $1 for every lap he walked, or technically, I guess, it'd be one pound, since they were in England. His challenge went viral when his daughter posted the campaign on an online charity site and the news spread quickly and suddenly this World War II veteran gripping his walker, wearing a navy blue blazer that was decorated with his medals, his military medals, walking around his garden, he became a national hero. Captain Tom was an inspiration to a nation. It's a great story, and he says he wants to travel the world once the pan pandemic subsides. He's 100 and wants to travel the world. I hope I'm that spry when I'm 100. But there's a great lesson about hope in this story, and I want you to hear this. This is what Captain Tom told reporters. And I quote here, the first step was the hardest. After that, I got into the swing of it and just kept on going. But the first step was the hardest. It always is. The first step of being faithful, of living by hope, is the hardest. Isn't that true of most everything we face in life. It can be so hard to lift our downcast, tear-filled eyes to look for that tiny spark of hope when we feel swallowed up by our pain. It can seem so difficult to reach beyond our troubles to grasp our Lord's outstretched hands. We know he's there, but what if? 
it can feel impossible to take that first step toward hope when we're weighed down by our burdens. But when we receive the promise of hope in God's word, we find new strength. When we accept the power of hope granted to us in God's spirit, we find new inspiration. And when we focus on the power of hope embodied in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the promised return and eternity of Jesus, we discover new strength for us to take that first step. And then to keep on stepping and to keep on walking. Maybe even starting one day to run. One step at a time. Hope inspires us. Hope emboldens us. Hope holds on to hope, hold, builds upon hope and keeps us going no matter what. Do you see why hope is so critical to our lives? To our Christian faith, to our, to our relationship with God, but just in survival of this world. But it matters what you put your hope in. Hope that doesn't endure. Hope in something that, that fades and passes away isn't really hope. It's wishful thinking. It's misplaced hope. Many today in our world have that. Many would say, I can just make it through until we get that vaccination. And it's got, what is it, 95% uh, success rate? That means it's got a 5% failure rate. You can do better. You can have 100% if you put your hope in the promise of God. And that's what I encourage you today. Let hope rule in your heart. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit and his blessing us by giving us hope. Today, Father, we've seen and we've discussed the importance of hope and how, how hope is so critical to each of our lives. I pray now, Lord, that, that we would take this first step toward hope, that our hope would be real, our hope would be in your promise. The promise of salvation through your son Jesus. May hope come alive in each of us. I ask now in Jesus' name. Amen.